Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to end up in Hebrews chapter 12, but open first to Hebrews chapter 11. And I've entitled our Bible study, 2024, Living Our Lives Looking to Him. Living Our Lives Looking to Him. Because here we are, we're 28 days into a brand new year. We're still heading into a new year. There's still a freshness about it. And God has been wanting to apprehend your heart. He's wanting your loyalty and desiring your commitment and wanting you to understand and grasp his great grace. And today, he wants you to understand that living your life, you need to be looking to him. It's so important. Look to him. In the hall of faith, which is chapter 11 of Hebrews, it's commonly known as the hall of faith, because in it, it gives us life after life after life after life after life after life of regular, normal, ordinary people who did great things by faith. Their lives were looking unto the Lord by faith. I mean, look, you can see some of them. By faith, Abel. By, in verse four. In verse five, by faith, Enoch. In verse seven, by faith, Noah. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham. You can jump down to verse 23. By faith, Moses. Again, in verse 24, he gets two. By faith, Moses. You, you can see all that he did all the way to verse 30. By, the, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, the harlot, harlot Rahab did not perish. And then you look at verse 32 and it says, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, and notice what they did, Subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant, they turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others, verse 36, had trial of mockings, scourgings, even chains, and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted and slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. And notice in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. I believe God wants your name in the hall of faith. I know he's not writing more Bible or anything, but if there was a modern day hall of faith, I believe God wants your name in it. So that you can say... By faith, this was my life. This is what I did. I mean, think about it. If your name was in the hall of faith, what would it be? I mean, you certainly don't want it to be in the hall of faith. Oh, by the way, Ed, by faith, did nothing with his life. I don't think anybody wants to live that way. And unfortunately, that's exactly how some of you are living your life. You're doing nothing for the Lord not being open to a fresh work of the Holy Spirit. Look, if you want 2024 to be different, then you're gonna have to make different choices. 
If you want 2024 to have some kind of impact, then you gotta re-examine your, your life. You gotta look yourself in the mirror and ask God, what do you have for me? What, what is it that you want from me? And you know the answer from heaven will be something like this, I want it all. I don't want you holding anything back from me, God says. I own you, if you will, by the blood of my own son, Jesus Christ. But you know, Christianity today, especially in the Western world, especially in our culture, has just become so low and then significant in people's lives, so low on the list of priorities, so low on the list of importance, like, like it's just something to do, it's just, just a little hobby. You know, I just want some morality in my life, I just want some morality in my family, and while that may be a good beginning, that is not what God is calling you to. He's not calling you to a life of morality, he is calling you to a life of surrender so that he might use you and bless you and relearn in previous studies that his will for our lives is that you bear much fruit. Bear much fruit, let me give it to you a different way. God's will for your life is for you to change the world so that the world might think of you, you know what, the world's not even worthy of the quality of life that you live. It's not even worthy of the kind of love that you, that you give. Not even worthy of the friendships and the care and concern that you show to the people that are, the world's not even worthy of it, and that's the point, so that the world might know of the grace of God. Because grace goes to the unworthy like me and like you. Well, in chapter 12, the Christian life is compared to running a race. It's a metaphor we're gonna read of here. Running a race. And if you're gonna run the race of life, there are ways that you can learn to run better, to be more successful. You want a different year, then you can learn how to improve your life just like someone that would run a race. And so notice with me in chapter 12 and verse one it says, therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus, verse two, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I wanna point out before we begin, I'm gonna have quite a few points for you today, but I want you to notice the word therefore. Therefore is a connecting word. So when you're reading through the Bible and you come to the word therefore, it's always wise to pause and say, what is it therefore? And you can remember it that way. What is being connected? So here's what is being connected between chapter 11 and chapter 12. He's connecting the faith of these men and women that have gone before us. And he's saying, I want you to remember them. I want you to know what they did. I want you to see their lives and understand that they are an encouragement to you in your life even today. These are normal people, regular people, just like you and me. These are the kind of men and women that would come to a gathering like this and worship God together that did the ordinary people that did extraordinary things by faith because of their connection to God. The encouragement comes in our lives as we consider so many that have gone before us. Not just chapter 11, but many of you have a heritage in your life where, where your mom and dad walk with the Lord, your grandma and grandpa walk with the Lord. Like some of you could say, some of you could say that the heritage of your family goes back generations. And that generational gift of spiritual strength is something that God wants to use to encourage you. And why do we need so much encouragement? 
We need encouragement because it's easy to quit. It's easy to become complacent. It's easy to learn how to do just the bare minimum. Or even worse, it's easy to live a hypocritical life where everybody thinks you have a relationship with God, but you're actually not telling the truth at all. You're empty. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I, we have access not only to external encouragement, but also internal power. I mean, these guys, they had, they had nothing that we have today and still turn the world upside down. I mean, they had no Bible, not like we have today, no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They didn't experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have any technology. They didn't even have the New Testament. It hadn't happened yet. They didn't even understand the new covenant. But they had and took what they had and they gave themselves. That's the key. And sometimes because we have more, we hold back. Because we have more, we hold back from God. And what does God do? He shakes the tree a little bit through trials and tribulations so we don't open our hands and just admit, God, it's all yours. We're not gonna lean on these things, we're gonna lean on you. One commentator described this like this. He said, they knew how to run the race of faith. They opposed Pharaoh, they forsook the pleasures and prerogatives of his court, They passed through the Red Sea. They shouted down the walls of Jericho. They conquered kingdoms, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire. They received back their dead by resurrection. They were tortured. They were mocked. They were scourged. They were imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They had to dress in animal skins. They were in poverty, all for the sake of faith. And they changed the world. And Paul says, because of them, And because they witness, you know, it says surrounded like a great cloud of witnesses in verse one. I don't want you to think like like they're watching from heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you have the witness of other believers in your life that will move you on. Their testimony is cheering you on. Even as your testimony is cheering someone else on, that good testimony of faith. So I want to give you a list of things that will help you run the race of faith in the race of life well things you can consider in this new year that will help you run well. I'm gonna list them out. I hope I get the numbers correct. I didn't get them correct yesterday. So if I don't get them correct, you fix them on your notes. But number one, notice with me, in order to help you run the race of faith better, we see in verse one, here's number one, lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. A runner in a race does not add weight to herself or himself when they're running. They do the exact opposite. They try to be as streamlined and aerodynamic as possible so they can get even the most milliseconds out of the race because they understand that they're racing to win. They're racing to win. You have to lay aside those things that don't help you run, church. Willingly, you need to lay them aside. The things that are heavy and burdensome. That's what the word means, weight. It just means, in the Greek, exactly what it means in the English. It means mass, heaviness. And I mean, you get the picture. If we were watching the Olympics, and we were seeing everyone that spent their entire life training for this, and they're lining up ready to run the 100-meter dash, and one of the guys is putting on a backpack right before they get to the starter line. I mean, you're watching TV, I don't know if you, but sometimes I talk to the TV in the midst of a sports event. Do you do that? Give me an amen if you do. All right, well, I'm not alone, I feel better. So I'm there, like, no, no, or that was a foul, whatever, whatever, you know, you know what you say. And you see someone in the Olympics, 
and they're putting on a backpack. Can't you just hear, hey, what are you doing? You're not gonna win that way. Take that thing off. I mean, you think if you were in a high school event and you're actually in the stands watching the kids do it, they're actually gonna hear you. And maybe it's your kid. And then they, there you go, running down the stands. Where's she going? What? Well, I gotta get that backpack off my boy. He's never gonna win. Like, of course not. It's silly. It's silly. I've never seen it in my life. It's a silly illustration. But I'll tell you what I have seen. A lot of Christians trying to run the race of faith, putting backpack after backpack after fill with rocks of problems and difficulties and things that they bring upon themselves that they need to lay aside. If you don't lay aside, you will not run your race. It isn't gonna happen. The things that burden you and the things that bother you, really, I guess you could say it this way, anything that weighs us down diverts our attention, saps our energy, waters down our passion, has to go. And you know, this could be a Bible study in and of itself. I could think of at least 10 things, easily, easily 10 things that many in the body of Christ carry around that God has already enabled you to just lay it aside. You're not gonna run well until you learn to do this. Lay aside the weights. Number two, not only are we to lay aside the every weight, but also it says, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So not only do we need to lay aside every weight, but we also have to lay aside sin. Like the things that are just obvious. Things that you know you shouldn't be doing. You know you should, like you, just the, to repent and forsake sin is necessary. Sin, you know, with the weights, we can still kind of make progress. With the weights, we can still run a, you could run a lot faster, but, you know, with weights, we can still make progress. With sin, the race stops there. No more progress until you deal with it. But I want you to notice, because you're reading the Bible, you can read it really fast and skip some significant words, and I don't want you to miss this significant word, because it changes, it changes the meaning of the verse. So I just shared the application of dealing with sin, but the Bible actually says, notice, and the sin. Paul is saying there's some specific sin that you need to deal with. And if we take this passage in context, I believe a good case can be made that the sin that's mentioned here is actually the sin of unbelief, right? Because chapter 11 is all about faith, Trusting God, obeying God, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Hey, you want to run well, you need to lay aside the weights, but you also need to deal with the sin. And do you know the cradle of all sin in life is unbelief? You go, Ed, come on. What do you mean by that? Well, earlier on in chapter 11, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And unbelief and doubt and worry and undermines our faith in God. You want to run well, you need to run by faith, trusting God with your life. And you know faith is always challenged through trials and testings, through difficulties. Testings reveal. I know a lot of times we think that, that the trial and the testing actually create. You know, something happens to you, you start flipping out and yelling and screaming and cussing, you go, and they go, bro, bro, calm down. And you go, you know what, I would have never been like this if this didn't happen. And you're kind of blaming the circumstance for your behavior. But let me tell you something. The circumstance didn't create that behavior. The circumstance, listen, the circumstance revealed 
what was already inside of you. That's why it's so ugly. Now everybody gets to see your ugly heart and my ugly heart. It's not the circumstance that created that inside. You know, I would never be this angry if, if bad things didn't happen to you. No, no, you're actually angry even when bad, good things happen to you because it's something you gotta deal with. Lay aside. You've gotta deal with it because it's holding you back. The sin, whether it is the sin of unbelief or by application, anything that you're holding on to. Let me give you number three, notice. Not only would we lay aside the weight and the sin, but also we're to run our race with endurance. It says run the race, the, run with endurance the race that's set before us. Endurance, mark that word if you haven't already. So we've already studied through Hebrews, but mark that word. The word endurance in the Greek language, which is the original language of the New Testament in the Greek, it's the Greek word hupomone. Say it with me, hupomone. It's gonna help you remember, H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E. Hupomone, it means to bear up under the weight. And we all need endurance. This group of believers needed endurance. Jesus Christ needed endurance as he faced the cross. Endurance, hupomone, it's a powerful word. It means to bear up under the weight of something. It means it's deeper word that includes patience and endurance. It, it has an idea of constant. There's a constancy when suffering or going through difficulty. It, it, it means to stand. It, it means in one dictionary to hold out. I'm not gonna quit. I'm not gonna cave in. I'm not gonna give in to the schemes and the wickedness of the devil. I'm not gonna run away in fear. Because we've learned over the years, it's always too soon to quit. And already we've, we're a few days into the new year and already believers have quit. Already believers have turned their back. Already believers have wandered off. And we're just a few days into a brand new year. And so we need endurance. We need the strength of God to keep us moving forward. That's how we're gonna run well. That we might hold on to God and trust him with our lives. We're gonna run well, you need endurance. That you won't run away and you won't hide, but that you will press on. This is a principle actually that our culture can appreciate. Our culture appreciates this stick to itness, and we're not gonna give up. It's certainly not from a biblical perspective, but the, but the idea is very much the same. It reminded me of a quote by Winston Churchill when he was quoted as saying this, and I, and I quote, never give in, never give in. Never, 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 in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense, never give in. And that's the idea of hupomone toward the things of the Lord. Never give in. Keep moving forward, one step at a time. Strengthen internally by the Holy Spirit. You need endurance so that when you're ready to quit, and I know as this Bible study goes forward, there are those listening to me that are ready to quit. And so God has answered what's on your mind right now. It's always too soon to quit. That God has strength for you as you turn to him. And already you lay aside every weight and you lay aside the sin. I, I can't emphasize enough for you how much sin is wrecking your life. How much sin is wrecking relationships how much joy is being stolen from you, how 
You know the misery, you know, kind of how you put your head on the pillow at night and you're all alone, you start reassessing your day and reassessing your relationships and it's just so sad? It's related to your sin. The misery of life. Some of you, the difficulty you're facing right now is because you've never come to Jesus Christ and surrendered your life. You've never asked God to forgive you and commit your life to following the Savior who died for you and rose again from the dead, shed his blood to forgive you of sin. The thing that we all share in the room is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have. There isn't an innocent one among us. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to save all of us if we turn to him. Notice number four now. The fourth thing we learn here in verse two is, if we want to learn how to run our race well, we, we are now looking unto Jesus. You can circle that word looking. It means to stare. It means to stare. As you're living life in this world, you need, as we read in the Psalms, just like the maid to her mistress, the servant to his master, our eyes must look to Jesus. They can't be diverted from him. It's important we be doing that every day. It, it, this word, there are other words in the, Bible, in the Bible that are used to describe looking. One means a quick glance. That's not this word. Another, me, another one means to, to think through and look with your mind, you know, to think about it. This word means to stare and look fat, steadfastly. It means not to take your eyes off your master. It means to take your attention off of everything else and looking afar and looking intently, staring deeply unto Jesus that we might learn from him and follow him. We, we're looking, we run our race looking to Jesus. We get our orders and our direction. We get our goes and we get our nose from Jesus. Another way to say it, another way to look at this word is you, you, you and I, we need to have eyes only for the Lord. You know, married couples, you understand this. Married couples know husbands, you have eyes only for your wife, period. They're not to wander off and any other woman catch your attention. You are to have eyes only for your wife. Wives, can I hear an amen? amen. Good. Wives, you're to have eyes only for your husbands. There's no, <laughs> all right. <laughs> There's no other place, no other person that's going to catch your eye and draw you away from the covenant you have made with your spouse. You're to have eyes only for your husband, eyes only for your wife. You're to have eyes only for Jesus. That's what he's saying here. He is worthy of it, to that commitment. You're to have eyes only for Jesus. Not, there's so many things that get our eyes off of the Lord, though. I mean, not even bad things, just things that catch our eye in life. Think of all the things that take our eyes off of Jesus, like money. Money's a popular one. Relationships. Sometimes relationships be become more important than your walk with the Lord, and that's a mistake. I think of sports, politics, retirement. Retirement's a big one, man, because you know, the world has this system set up that, man, if you're not prepared for the future, you're not prepared. So you work and 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 finally get to retirement. You're 90 years old, now what? What happened with your life? You had eyes on retirement, so that's all you did, all you did, all you did, and now what happened? Where's your life? By faith, brother so-and-so spent his whole life getting for retirement and then didn't make it. That's how the world is. They just use us, the system of this world. I think of raises and bonuses and houses and cars and second houses and third houses, I think of all. 
And none of them are really necessarily bad, except that if you're not careful, that's what you'll be into. And you know what you're into. You know what you're into. You can't, some of you can say, you know, I'm into the Lord, man. He consumes my life. And for that, I'm amen. But you know what you're into. It's what consumes you. It's all you think about. I mean, on a really simple scale, I can tell, I can give you a little test. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do usually indicates what's important to you. So if you pull out your phone and flip on Instagram, everybody's life is more important to you than your own. Facebook, whatever it might be. You wake up in the morning and you check your email for work. Well, I guess work is pretty important to you. Because, I mean, you took a breath and you're already worried about it before your feet even hit the ground. I mean, you, you wake up in the morning, you pull out your phone, and, man, what's my stocks doing? What's my stocks doing? Well, I guess money is pretty important to you because you got to know what's going on on the East Coast with the stock market. And really what it is, it's a level of priority. You want a different year for the things of the Lord? then you're going to have to think differently and make some corresponding changes that are going to associate with that desire to look unto the Lord. And you just got to be honest. You just have to be honest with yourself. You got to let the Lord do that deep inward work. No pastor can do it. No church service can do it. This is only the work of God, and it's a deep, deep heart work so that your desire is God's desire. And you're looking to him for direction and you're looking for him to him for comfort. You're looking to him for hope. You're looking for him to him for direction. You're looking to him because you love him. And you could say that your eyes are devoted to the ones that you love. I mean, in a real practical way, our eyes, you know, you can see how you follow your eyes. And if you're driving, you know, if you're driving along and you see a billboard catches your eye and you look at it a little bit too long, you notice that your car starts to veer toward your eyes are. I mean, even, even the guys that are making roads and stuff, they put those little indentations. You know what those, like if, you, if you've ever met the indentations, that means you veered off. And sometimes they hit you as a surprise because you were just a few seconds. It wasn't even a long time. Just a few seconds. But I was like, whoa, 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 okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, whew. all right, I'm good. I'm good. And that's why they make a big deal in these days that we live. They make a big deal. And I agree. I agree that you don't text and drive. You've heard that. Which we all have done for the most part. Many of us have. And God has been gracious. Because when your eyes are on the phone they're not on the road and you've got like a multi-thousand pound vehicle heading at 70 miles an hour that can do great damage if you don't pay attention to how to drive it and you think of the significance of texting and driving and not being you know being a distracted driver what is worse is being a distracted believer because the same thing happens. There's a great crash coming up ahead. There's the bumps of the side of the road. There's the guardrails. And you're just bouncing back and forth, looking unto Jesus. Notice, he gives us a couple more things before we head out of how to look to Jesus. Notice, the next one is number five, looking unto Jesus. Here's number five, as the author and finisher of our faith. So when you look to Jesus, just understand that he is your author and finisher of your faith. And he's the supreme example of God in human flesh, 100% man, who was able to walk by faith himself in the Father, trusting 
the father to lead his life. Our lives can't be on each other, comparing ourselves, because sometimes the metaphors of the Bible break down a little bit because we use the metaphor of race here and we think we're competing with one another and I'm gonna win and you're gonna lose. That's not, the, that's not the proper way of looking at it. In this race, we're not trying to win, we wanna finish, that's what we want. We wanna get through the finish line with this race and we don't wanna beat the person next to us, we wanna make sure we take as many people with us across the finish line. It's not competition. And how do we get away from that? We keep our eyes on the Lord who started this work in our lives and he's promised to complete it. You stay in your own lane and you look to help others. There's a race laid before you, your own personal life. And he's the author, it says. That means the originator, the pioneer. He started this. But he's also the finisher. And this same word in the Greek here is the same word that is used when Jesus is dying on the cross and in his final words he says what? It is finished. To telestide. This is it. It is done. It's the same. It's a, this word is the derivative of that one. And so this is the one who carries it to completion. That he's going to help you. You're not alone. Let me show you scripture. Turn over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter one. I want you to see this because some of you need to memorize it. So I want you to mark it because it's so important. Sometimes we want to give up and get out of the race. We think God's done with us. We think God doesn't care about us anymore. We think that we've sinned too much and we're so messed up and we just can't run anymore. But here's the promise you have to hold on to in those difficult times in Philippians chapter one. Here, here's what the Bible says. Being confident of this very thing, he who began a good work in you will complete it. Mark those words. Will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what God has started in you, you're gonna make it. You can't make it on your own, but you can make it in him. You will make it in him. You know, I've been receiving quite a few questions recently, radio and email, about the promises of God. I don't understand, Pastor. How do you, how do you, how do you use the promises of God? Well, let me use this, was an, this one as an example, okay? This is a promise of God to you. He has made it, and he will keep it. Here's the promise, you ready? God says to you and me in his Bible, I started something in your life, and I'm gonna finish it. <laughs> and so when you think you're not gonna make it, and when you think it's not gonna, th this is never gonna turn out, I don't know what's gonna happen in my life, I don't know what's, when you think that, you can come back to this promise and say, God, you know I'm wavering, you know I'm doubting, you know I'm struggling right now, but you said, you said that you would finish what you started so I trust, I trust you to finish what you started. And I'm, after I say amen, God, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. That's how you handle the promises of God. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of promises. You just think you're not going to make it. You're tired, running a race, like it's tiring. You get beat up along the way. You, you get, you fall down, you know, you, you have people sabotaging you, you got the weights and sin and I don't think I'm going to make it. No, no, no. Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. Of course you're going to make it. He promised to finish what he started. Let me, let me show you another scripture, Psalm 138. Go back to the Psalms with me. This is way back even in the old covenant, David understood this. And as the psalmist is looking at his life and wondering about his life and waiting for the mercy of God and where is God in all this, notice what he says. 
Psalm 138, verse eight. Psalm 138, verse eight. He says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. You can also, that word perfect can also be translated complete. The Lord will complete that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So God is working. He's, he's going to perfect it. It's going to be completed. You can trust him. God is working all things together for the good, for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. Joseph was able to say at the end of his life, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, looking at his brothers that hurt him and harmed him so much, in forgiveness and love, he looks at him and he says, what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. And he's brought it about as it is this day to save many. And that's what God is doing. For those of you that love God, those of you that belong to him, those of you that serve with him, he's working all things together for the good. Number seven, number seven, no, number six, we're on number six. Uh, <clears throat> the author and finisher of our faith, here's the other one. Um, looking, on, looking unto Jesus for the joy that was set before him. It says, who for the joy that was set before him. The joy, I believe, was you and me. And so there's joy in the journey because God is using us to bless other people. That's what's happening here. Jesus was able to face the cross. He was able to endure the things we'll see in a moment, the shame and the difficulty. Why? For joy. There's joy coming through the difficulty. And the joy of the Father is your salvation and mine. And there's joy in front of us too. Even if today we're in a season of, man, it's hard, it's difficult, I don't really have much joy. I was just praying with a brother recently uh, who had, he's sharing his testimony. He's like, man, I'm happy. And I was able to pause because I've been following along with him and I was able to pause and I go, look, bro, I just want you to understand what you just said. What you just said is that you're happy. God is giving you your happiness back. And let's just rejoice right now. And we did, we were able to pray and he was just such a great testimony, but for a long time. It's a very challenging, hard road and it's gonna continue to be challenging, but God restored his happiness. God restored his joy. And there's a joy in this race that's up ahead. Why do you take the next step? For the joy. Why do you keep running? For the joy. Why, why are you not gonna give up and quit and run away? For the joy that's set before you. It's so cool. Let me give you another one, number seven. <clears throat> number seven. Not only do we look to Jesus as the author and finisher and for the joy that's set before him and you, but next we look to Jesus for the endurance that he had. It's an example, notice. It says, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. You know, you would... Be, you wouldn't be surprised to know that that word endurance is the same Greek word that we used earlier, endurance, and it's the Greek word hupomone. Don't you forget that word. One day you're going to just want to throw in the towel and the Holy Spirit's going to say, nope, hupomone, and you're like, what? And then you'll remember the Holy Spirit will bring, do you know the Bible promises that the Holy Spirit will bring back to your memory the things that you've learned, things that the Holy Spirit's taught you? And you're just like, nope, I'm going to endure through this. I'm going to make it through. God is with me. And Jesus made it to the cross through hupomone. He endured it. He didn't run away from it. He went right at it. His life was set toward the cross. He, he despised the shame of it and the misery of it. I mean, here we are running our race, ready to give up, ready to throw in the towel. We got to get our eyes back on him. 
And then when our eyes are on him, things become clearer. We remember that he loves us and that he died for us. We remember we're new creations in Christ. We remember the past victories. We remember his faithfulness. He remember his joy is my joy. We remember his endurance and my need for endurance. If he can, I can. And all the shame and all the humiliation and all the pain and all the beatings didn't slow Jesus down. He endured it all the way to the end as an example for us. And finally notice, we look to Jesus for his finished work. It says at the end of verse two that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's just the truth that Jesus is finished. He sat down, that's a place of completion. He's done, he's done. The work of salvation is done. That's the final stage. Not not only is he done prophetically, because in Psalm 110 it was prophesied that he would sit down at, at the right hand of the Father, but he also is finished practically. That your salvation is complete in him. It's the full package. Jesus sat down permanently. He has nothing else to do. When Jesus went to the cross, he endured all that it demanded. He despised the shame. He accepted it willingly for the sake of his father's reward and the joy of the anticipation of this reward that the reward would bring. And so we run our race of the Christian life. We can run in joyful anticipation. We can run in such a way where the same reward would come to us, a crown of righteousness that we're gonna cast down at the feet of Jesus anyway when we worship him and all of our desires and all of our hopes and dreams are fulfilled in him in eternity. And God is asking you to run the race, church, today in this new year. He's asking you to give it all and to hold nothing back. And I know we use that. It's, it's, a, it's a phrase that's used of ever increasing. It's not as if we can give it all today. But I know with the heart and with the desire, you're going to continue to grow. If you continue to hold back with tight, clenched fists, you're just going to squeeze the life out of that which you value and treasure so much. You're just going to squeeze the life out of it. God is asking us to come to him with open hands. We're considering what this new year might bring. And I'm telling you, if you don't make radical changes, then nothing radical, it's going to get worse. Nothing radical is going to happen. It's going to be the same year or worse than last year and the last year. But God is calling us as our church, just us as believers, but he's calling our church to something great and grand. That, that we might live a life and go, you know, the world's not worthy of those lives. But we're here nonetheless. Why? Because of the grace of God. That's why you live on the block that you live in. And that's why you live in the apartment. And that's why you rent that room. And that's why you work where you work. And that's why you may be looking for work right now. And you're all over the place looking for work. Why? So that you can bring great glory to God. And what does it require? You, you know, you just got to stop complaining. This is God's will for your life. Stop complaining about it. Stop gossiping. Stop tearing people down. Stop the things. Lay aside those weights and sin. It's not helping you in the race, church. I mean, seriously. What, is the, what have you done in the grand scheme of life through your complaining and through my complaining? I'll tell you what. Absolutely nothing. Complaining is just so, it's just so like, like, not only do we not help, but we make things worse. <laughs> and then we're all messed up and soiled. Because of course we're in a world where we're not going to have, we're not going to like everything, we're not going to uh, enjoy everything. Th hard things happen, difficult things happen, but it saps your joy. 
It puts weights on your shoulders. It creates more sin in your life. You lose sight of Jesus. Isn't that what happens with circumstances? Things happen and immediately it's there in the forefront of our face and we can't see anything but the problem, but the difficulty. And what the Lord wants you to do is to see him. And it'll make the hard times a little bit easier. It'll make the difficult times a little bit easier. It'll make the pain and hurts and wounds a little bit easier as the Lord encourages us in a very difficult world. Look, 2024 is a year that's gonna be epic. It's gonna be an epic year. God's gonna do amazing things. He, he is going to move on the earth today, drawing people to himself in even greater ways than he ever has before. The only question is, is are you gonna be a part of it? And do you wanna be a part of it? Well, if so, then you need to let him have it all. You can start small. It could be, you might be in the place where I just throw up my hands and I go, I don't, here I am. It could be big or small. But if you don't choose to release and let go and make that commitment to go all in, then there's a very good chance that this year will be like any other year. And it'll just be another page, another turn, another, another year where, man, where did the time go? But we can look back for those of us that are running our race, and we can say, where did the time go? You know, I, I don't know, it seemed to go by so fast, but I do know this, it went by because I gave, my, I gave my Lord, I gave it all, man. I gave it all to him. And so, Father, I know you invite us in, and you desire us to submit and surrender, and, and I, I know it's just, uh, it's uh, challenging, you know, even as I think, you know, in, in that issue of complaining it's just so much a part of our culture that we we're so used to it and it's just an indication that we're looking at ourselves and not at you so forgive us lord and help us as a pastor and leader in this church lord i just want us to move forward in great things i want to be a part of your epic plan i want to i desire it and, and if not for our church for me my wife my kids all that you have for the people that I get to be a part of their lives. I desire that we would run the race with joy and just press through the hard times. So Lord, have your way with us as we look to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877 877- To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.